Okay, I am gonna take a step down here, uh, and I get to to teach the last message of 2020, which I'm so excited about. You know, I wanted to teach from the from the stage, but Garen said that's just for him. I don't get to be up there, so I'm down here. He said I went to a small KCAC school named Sterling, so I go here. And Sam, can you believe he said if I went to Tabor, I had to teach down here? Did you? That's just rude. Why would he? Oh, I would have to be out of the church. Is that what you're saying? I, Oh, up on stage. Nah, I don't know about that. Uh, okay, so I'm here bringing the last message of 2020, which I'm so excited about. And we've been kind of talking about this initiative of reading through the New Testament as a church in 2021. And so I'm going to kind of put a cap on that. I am going to bring it to a head uh, is, is, in a way, so I'm going to try and do. I want to voice some things that I think we all have felt or do feel about God's word and just, sh- just shed some light on that and bring some truth to that. And then I also just kind of want to unite us all, just like get us on the same page as we go into 2021 to undertake this, this reading of the New Testament. And so that's where we're going today. Um, I'm going to start off, I mean, you have to start off with Lord of the Rings, right? Garen said, if I'm going to teach, I have to do Lord of the Rings. So we're going to start with Lord of the Rings. Not really. I'm not even really a big Lord of the Rings guy, but this story really illustrates kind of what I'm, I'm talking about here. So in Lord of the Rings, if you know the story at all, you know that it starts with this guy named Bilbo Baggins, and he's this hobbit, and he happens upon this ring. And he puts it on, and he quickly finds out that this ring gives him the ability to disappear. And so for the next X amount of years, I don't even know how long, he carries this ring with him wherever he goes in his pocket. And anytime he's in a jam, he slips it on and turns invisible and gets away. Or anytime he kind of gets in over his head and he can't handle things by himself, he'll, he'll put it on and, uh, and kind of get out of the situation and then, okay, put it back in the pocket. And so this is kind of how he lives his life for a while after that. And the cool part of the story is that you find out later that this ring actually has supreme powers, right? That this ring is actually the most powerful of a bunch of rings, and it controls all these other rings. And if the wearer of the ring actually knew what they had, that they could control the entire world. They could rule the whole world and be super powerful. But the thing is, Bilbo didn't know this. Bilbo thought he had a really normal object, but can you imagine if he had known what he had, how his life would have been different? He would have lived a completely different life. See, Bilbo, he didn't realize the ring's true value. And guys, I want to start by saying that I am afraid that we are Bilbo. We who follow Jesus, I'm afraid that we're, that we're Bilbo. I'm afraid that we have this extraordinary object at our disposal and that way too often we treat it as common, right? That way too often we pull it out when we get in a jam when we can't handle things ourselves, and then we put it back in our pocket and save it for later. And guys, I can't help but think that if we esteemed this object properly, and if we gave it its proper place in our hearts, that we would experience so much more than we currently do with it. And so what I want today to be is a wake-up call, which is really ironic because I despise wake-up calls. But today is a wake-up call, and it's a wake-up call to this, that this book is not what we think it is, right? That it is absolutely not what we think it is, and that there is so much more that we could be getting out of it if we esteemed it properly, just like Bilbo 
in that ring. So let's start with what this book is. If it's not some common object, then what is it? Well, in John 6, Jesus has a large group of followers, and they're following him around. And if you read the verses leading up to 66, you see that Jesus is teaching these followers some pretty tough stuff. It's not your run-of-the-mill, feel-good beatitudes. He's really diving into some, t- some tough stuff to understand and some tough stuff to submit to. And so people are falling by the wayside. They're like, you know what? This guy's too much. We're out of here. And the numbers are dwindling in his group. And so then this happens in 66. It says that many of this, oh, I'm sorry. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and they deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think this is so cool because Peter knew what he had. Peter knew that the words of Jesus were something to build your foundation on. He knew that it was something that was different than everything else in his life. And I think it's so cool that Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to be the foundation that I build my church on. And then Jesus comes, or Peter comes to Jesus and says, your words are what I'm going to build my life on. I just think that's really neat. In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. And then when the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Have you ever built your foundation on the wrong thing? Have you ever started to build your foundation on the wrong thing? If you have, you know that you can definitely feel it. You know that your life begins to feel a little shaky, that things that were once really solid start to feel like they're shifting. Things can feel uncertain. You can be constantly anxious. Your efforts can feel fruitless. Overall, life can just seem kind of empty, like there's no real finish line. Guys, I think this is how the world feels because the world is searching for something to build its life on. The world is is desperately searching for something that is worthwhile. And the thing is, we have this thing. We have the words of Jesus. And the world doesn't really see the Bible for what it truly is. But if we're being honest, a lot of times as Jesus followers, we don't really see God's word for what it really is either. We, We don't esteem it properly. There are two really big misconceptions that I know the world has about God's word, but I think we can fall into having as well, even as seasoned Jesus followers. And they really keep us from engaging God's word like we should. Number one, it's this misconception that the Bible is this rigid rule book, right? And a lot of us grew up this way, and this is a hard thing to shake if you grew up in this. And if you grew up in this, you know that the Bible, it doesn't feel like it brings life or freedom. It can feel like it brings critique or guilt, And that's just not what God wanted for us in reading God's word. And so instead of viewing it that way, let's view it as as an instruction manual that is written by the creator. Let's think about it like this. Let's imagine someone is rebuilding an old car for you. Like for me, like I would think like a 60s convertible, or not convertible, a 60s Corvette. Those things are so sweet, right? And so someone is rebuilding this thing. They're repurposing it. It's going to look awesome. So they get it all built and they bring it to me and they drop the keys in my hand, right? And they say, here it is. I'm entrusting this to you. Do with it what you want. It's totally yours. But as he does it, he says, but one thing, you know, there's there's a couple things I could tell you to help this thing run really well. There's a couple things I could tell you to help you get the most out of this experience. 
You know, simple things like put this kind of fuel in it. Don't put this kind of fuel. Rotate the tires on, you know, at this date. Change the fluids out this much. Um, don't take it on these certain roads because you'll tear it up. You know, take it on these roads. It's going to be much better. Don't park it outside. The sun and the snow are going to chip the paint. Keep it indoors to keep it looking really nice. Just really basic stuff to help me get the most out of this car, right? What if he gave me the keys and I said, you know what? I really appreciate all of your advice, but it's my car, and I think I'll do what I want with it. And you can't really tell me how to drive my car. So thanks, but no thanks. I think I'll do what I want. First of all, you would think rightly that I am selfish and rude, totally, but even more than that, foolish, right? How foolish would you be to react to someone like that? And it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, Jordan, that's a really foolish thing to say. But in reality, that's our conversation with God so often because he has gifted us with this great thing called life and he has given us an instruction manual with simple instructions on things that are gonna help us get the most out of life to operate the way we were made to. But what do we say? No, God, um, you can keep your rules. I'm gonna live my life. I've got it figured out. Thank you so much. We do this with a lot of things. One thing I think especially is worry, right? We all worry, especially in this season of life. It's so easy to worry. I see anxiety and worry more than I ever have in my life. Well, let's go to the instruction manual. I'm worried, what does the instruction manual say? It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request, present what you need to God, right? So this is the instruction manual's guide to worry. But what do I do? Uh, okay, that's what God says. That's great. I think, I'll, I think I'll overthink this thing first. I think whatever I'm worried about, I'll overthink it. And then I think I'll lose some sleep over it. And then I think since I'm really tired, I'll snap at my wife about it. That'll be great. That'll, that'll work out well. And then maybe I'll stress eat and just kind of let it eat me up for like a whole month. And then I'll move on to something else to worry about, right? That's my way of dealing with it. That's the human way of dealing with worry. And I'm not so naive that, you know, I think we can just look at this and say, well, never worry again. It says right there. But on some level, like it kind of is that way. Like, God has given us the ability to walk out that door and never worry again if we will follow his instruction manual, if we will bring everything to him, no matter how big or small, and if we will be thankful for what he's given and just tell him what we need. Like on some level, it's that easy. And so in saying that, it is so important that that's how we view this book, as an instruction manual on how to deal with life and not a rigid book of, of do's and don'ts. So that's the number one misconception that I have, that I think a lot of us have, that keeps us out of the Bible. Number two misconception is that this book is a book that is just for scholars, okay? That unless you've been to seminary, unless you've studied in school how to read the Bible, that you shouldn't even try it. Well, that's obviously not true. In reality, it's a practical guide for Jesus followers, okay? Um, this is a book that should not be looked at as an artifact to be studied. This is a book that should be looked at like somebody taking a road trip, checking their map, right? Every step of the way, making sure that they're going the right way. This is not a book that is simply for the enlightened and the educated. It is for the insecure. It is for the confused. It's for those who are caught up in sin. It's for those who don't have it all figured out. It's for those who do furrow their brow whenever Garen brings Greek up onto the screen, just like, what? 
oikos. I hope you're speaking English. What, what is the deal, right? It's for those of us who don't get that stuff. And that's because the Bible is not simply a book of study. The Bible is a book of action. It is a book to be put into action. The Bible is the main channel through which God brings about his plans in the world. It's his main channel for bringing about his plans in the world. God's plans begin with him. They are put into writing in this book, and they come to life when his people read it and live it out, right? God's plans begin with him. They're put into writing in this book, and they come to life when his people read it and they live it out. And if any link in that chain is missed, it's not accomplished. I was reading an article this week about the best offensive mind in the NFL. And uh, it turns out that it is, in fact, this offensive genius right here, Andy Reid. So you guys don't think this is funny that Andy's got a a foggy mask on because you're Chiefs fans, but to the rest of us, this was really funny. Andy Reid, as goofy as he looks here, is the best mind in the NFL. Before he came to Kansas City, he was in Philadelphia where he took that team to five NFC Championship games, which is the best, the biggest game before the Super Bowl. So that's no small feat. And the thing is, he did it with very limited offensive weapons. I mean, he had a few guys that were good, but like he really didn't have a lot to work with. And he consistently performed. So he was really good. So then he gets this job at Kansas City. He comes to the Chiefs, who were 2-14, and and he takes them to a Super Bowl victory, which is super impressive. So this guy's record is unchallenged. Like, he is a genius when it comes to to offensive plays in the NFL. No No one can challenge that. But here's my question. How effective would Andy Reid's plays be if his team didn't read his playbook? If he sat in his office and and put all of his genius into this playbook and then gave it to the players and they left it in their dorm room and never brought it to practice and never bothered to learn any of the plays, it would be absolutely useless, right? Knowing the plays is so important that Pat Mahomes literally wears it on his arm every practice and every game so that it is right in front of his eyes. That's how important it is to him that he sees his coach's playbook. He's got it with him always, In the same way, guys, I think you know where I'm going with this. What good is our Bible if it's on our shelf? What good is the playbook if it's not being studied? How can God accomplish what he has designed for you in your life if you're not gonna pick up his playbook and read what he's got designed for you? Guys, the Bible is a book of action. It is not just written for scholars to study. It is written for God's people to live out every single day. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and it is active. Now, how do we know that it's living and active? Well, because when you put it into practice and you actually live out what it tells you to do, your life is literally transformed from the inside out, right? I don't know a lot of texts like that. In fact, this is the only one. Garen showed a video a few weeks ago of two guys discussing the Bible's effectiveness in our lives when we read it consistently. And the video went like this. These two guys were saying, when you read the Bible four times or more a week, you know, this list of things happens in your life. And it was really incredible. And, and at first, four seemed like a really odd number to me. Like, why four? That's so arbitrary. But then when you think about it, or at least when I thought about it, there's seven days in a week. And so if I'm getting in my Bible more than half of those days or four days, then I am listening to God's voice more than I'm listening to my own voice. And that is when things can start to change in my life, when I am taking his word to heart more than I'm taking my own. 
And these are the things that they said can change with that. When we read the Bible four times or more a week, what do we see? We see loneliness drop 30%, anger 32 bitterness and relationships 40 spiritual stagnancy 60 porn usage porn usage 61 guys these are things that are so prevalent in and out of church and we're seeing them demolished by the word of god it's incredible inversely sharing faith people are sharing their faith 200% more when they're in the bible four times a week they're discipling others 230% more when they're in the bible i mean like if this was written on a medicine bottle or some kind of like some, some vitamin, you'd be like, this is undeniable. I have to take this every single day. Are you kidding me? But because it's God's word, we still don't do it as much as we should, even though the statistics are absolutely mind-blowing. They absolutely back up what God has already told us about his word. These stats, they're undeniable. They demonstrate the power of God's word. And we see them and we're really amazed by them. But do you know who else sees this? is Satan. Satan sees these stats. He is angry about them. He is not wanting you to be in your Bible four times a week. In fact, I'm pretty sure he has a special game plan for every single person in a chair here to keep you out of the word four times a week or more, because he sees what happens when you listen to God's voice more than your own. He is smart, and he would be dumb to not have a plan to make that happen. It's a shame because God's word is so effective at changing our lives from the inside out. But in reality, we don't take advantage of it as much as we should. Barna Group did some research on evangelicals in the year 2019. Evangelicals meaning anybody who consistently attends an evangelical church just like this one. And they found that half of people were disengaged from their Bible, meaning Half of people in evangelical churches in 2019 didn't have a plan to consistently engage their Bible. If I see it, maybe I'll read it. Maybe I'll do the app today over lunch, but really I have no plan for engaging it consistently. And the bigger stat is that over a third of people who regularly attend church and regularly attend life group and are, are calling themselves followers of Jesus didn't open the Bible in 2019. They didn't even crack the book. That's like being on the Chiefs and saying, yeah, I'm on the Chiefs. Oh, playbook? No, I've literally never read it. But yeah, I'm a Chief. Like, that's what we're doing. And guys, it, it's no wonder that like we don't feel like we're growing in our faith. And it's no wonder that we feel like we're inadequate to share our faith. And it's no wonder that we feel like we are out of control in, in, in this world right now where everything's changing because we're not in the Word of God. Like, I'm not super smart, but I see the stats. I can read simple numbers, and I understand why we feel the way we do. And guys, this is in no way to shame us or to guilt us or to be like, hey, shame on you for, for not reading your Bible. It's more just to say, man, we can't keep going like this. As God's people, we can't keep running plays without a playbook. It's, it's not sustainable in any way. It's just not going to work. A few weeks ago, the Broncos, uh, back to the NFL thing, a few weeks ago, the Broncos were really in a pickle. Actually, the Broncos have kind of been in a pickle since Peyton retired. I mean, let's be honest. But they were really, really in a pickle a few weeks ago because all three of their quarterbacks didn't follow COVID protocols and they were disqualified for the game. And this was like on a Friday. And so the, the Broncos find out on Friday afternoon, all three of their quarterbacks can't play in the game on Sunday. 
And so they are scrambling. <laughs> they are scrambling. Ooh. They're scrambling. They have like 18 hours, something like that, to find a quarterback, to get him on the team, and to, to, to be able to try and win a game, which is super hard to do. So what do they do? They elevate a guy from the practice squad who has never been on the Broncos before. This guy doesn't know the playbook. He doesn't know the play. He doesn't know anything about how they run stuff. And so he's going to come in and be their quarterback. So he gets the playbook like 12 hours before game time. And he's going to go out there and lead an NFL team without knowing the playbook. Well, the whole league, the whole, I mean, I say world, if you're a part of the NFL world, you were watching with anticipation of what's going to happen. And it's kind of like watching two trains slowly get closer, like you know what's going to happen and you just can't wait for the wreckage. Like that's kind of how I felt. Maybe not Garen, but, but that's exactly what happened. This guy went out there and he had just one of the worst outings by a quarterback of all time in the NFL. His stat line was this, one of nine passing. So he completed one of nine passes for 13 yards and two interceptions for the whole game. That was his stat line, right? You notice I'm not looking over at Garen because I can't look him in the eye for this part right here. Talk about his Broncos like that. But here's the deal. It's not that this guy was a bad player, right? It's not that he was inept because he was actually a good athlete. He just didn't have the playbook. He just didn't know what he was doing out there because he didn't have time to study the plays. And I actually really like this guy and, and I feel for him because it must have been super frustrating to go out there every play and try your absolute best, but just not know what you're doing really. I mean, that must have just been really, really tough. So I feel for him. And for this reason, you know, Garen, I didn't run this by you, but we're starting a new initiative at TBC for 2021. Hashtag don't be a Bronco. That's our next initiative after the New Testament reading. And this is the reason for hashtag don't be a Bronco. Here's what we're trying to say with this is don't be somebody who doesn't know the playbook. Don't be somebody who goes out there and doesn't know what to do and is constantly frustrated because you're trying your absolute best, but you just don't have the place. You just don't know what's going on. Guys, God has prepared so many things for you in your life. He has equipped you in so many ways. He has given you so many promises to plant your flag in, to build your house on but you won't know any of that if you're not in his word. It will all be totally lost on you and you'll be out there trying to run plays blind if you don't know that. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared for us in advance to do. He literally has things that he has planned for us to do and he has equipped us to do them. But how in the world would you know that unless you crack this book open? You won't know it. Don't live a frustrating life of trying to do it the right way and never knowing what God has for you. Guys, the Barna stats, they make it really clear that we have ceased to be the people of Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, God likens his people to a tree that is firmly rooted by a stream, right? And that's what it looks like when we are rooted in his word. But the truth is that we're not really rooted in scripture, and when we're not rooted in scripture, we are tossed around by anything that will move us, right? I mean, you think about elections, you think about social media posts, news cycles, your own personal feelings and opinions on things. Those things throw us around every day. They pull our eyes off of Jesus when we are not firmly rooted in God's word. And it's so, I mean, it's not a surprise. Like, that's just obvious. That's what happens. We've got to get back to being the people of Psalm 1 who are firmly rooted next to that stream of life. 
Um, in the book of Exodus, Moses is leading the Israelites through the desert, and he comes to Mount Sinai. And if you've been to Sunday school ever in your life, you know what happens at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, he meets with God face to face at the top of the mountain, he gets instruction, and he comes back down and brings that instruction to the Israelites, kind of communicates to them that way. And I want to tell you that that was how the information flow worked for God back in Exodus. But that is not how God wants it to work with his church today. And I want to tell you that we cannot be a church of Israelites who come on Sunday to hear from the Moses on stage that heard from God that week, right? You are Moses. I am Moses. We have our own interactions to have with God, our own conversations to have with God during the week. We don't want to just hear about somebody else's experience with God that week on this stage. That's secondhand knowledge. You have your own things to bring to God. He has his own things to tell directly to you. You need to be in his presence that week. It's not about just experiencing it secondhand from somebody on the stage. I would love, I pray that TBC would be a church of Moseses, right? Who are having that time with God, that we wouldn't be a church of Israelites who are waiting to hear that from somebody else. And the truth is, for any church to be healthy and growing, it's got to be made up of people who are spending consistent time alone in God's word. Let me say that again. If TABC has any hope of being healthy and in growing, it's got to be made up of people who are spending time consistently alone in God's word. Like that's non-negotiable. That's not an opinion. That's what it is. And the reason is this, because if we are not centered in God's truth, we will make up our own truth. I've seen me do it, okay? I know we've all done this. If we are not centered in God's truth, we will make up our own truth. We have got to be the people of Psalm 1 rooted in God's word. There's a pastor in Texas that I really enjoy, and he, he had this quote on one of his podcasts recently. He said, instead of being people who want to read the Bible, we're often people who want to want to read the Bible. And that's kind of true, right? Like, oh, I don't really want to get in God's word right now, but I want to be the person who wants to be in God's word, right? Like when push comes to shove, we're not really about it, but we want to be. And in thinking on that quote, I just kind of did some self-examination about, like, what are the things that keep me out of God's word, that keep me from being someone who really wants to spend time with God. And there were three things that came to my mind right away. Number one was pride. Pride does that. And I asked myself this question, am I really gonna let the words of another person rule my life? I think for anybody, this is a hard question, but especially as a man, like it's, it's hard to let someone else's words rule my life. And then I go to Isaiah 55 and God says, my thoughts are not yours, my ways are not yours. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. And you realize that you'd be totally foolish as a human being to not take the word of of a being so much higher than you and apply it to your life. Like it would just be the epitome of foolishness to think that I could handle my business better than God could tell me how to do it. The next one is passivity. Am I going to coast through life or am I going to live it with intention? This, once again, I think for guys is really tough. I know for me, It takes extra effort to lead myself spiritually, my wife, my family, and to really be on that and live it out in in real intentional ways. It's so much easier to hit autopilot and just cruise. And I don't want that to be who I am. That's not what God has for me. 
The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He's talking about his spiritual walk, and he says, there is absolutely a prize at the end of this life, and only the ones who run the race hard are gonna win it. Therefore, every day, just like an athlete, I'm gonna train myself spiritually. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to beat my body. I'm going to make it my slave so that I will be worthy of the prize at the end of my life. In other words, don't be somebody who coasts through your faith, who, who catches church every once in a while, who, who doesn't really read but knows, you know, knows the big things about the Bible. That, that's not what the Apostle Paul wants for us. That's not what God designed for us. We've got to live our lives intentionally. We've got to run this race of, of faith intentionally. And the last one is priority. Am I willing to give this book the position and the priority that it deserves in my life? Because guys, there are so many important things in our lives, right? I'm not up here saying this is all that matters and nothing else matters in your life. Things matter in our lives and I get it. There are lots of high priority things. But if the word of God is not the highest priority, if it is not the lens through which we see all other priorities, then it's not gonna work out for us then we're not gonna get everything out of life that God has designed for us. God's word has to be our top priority. And I go back to this, like we already read in John 6, Peter's words, Lord, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. There are lots of things in our lives that are important. There is one thing that holds the words of eternal life. There's one thing that's gonna matter after you die. And for that reason, this has to be the lens through which we see those other things. Guys, I'm glad that... um, 2020 is nearly over, like most of you are. I'm gonna feel really good, like most of you, when we put this year behind us, but we all know that 2021 is gonna bring its own challenges. That you're gonna have really tough decisions to make in 2021. And so I wanna ask you this, not that, I wanna ask you this. When your first big decision of 2021 needs to be made, how are you gonna make that decision? What will that decision be affected by? In 2021, your first big decision, is it gonna be affected by your thoughts or your mood in that day, right? Just how you feel? Is it gonna be affected by your preference or your opinion on a certain subject? Is it gonna be affected by the instruction manual that you have written for your life? What if instead you heeded the word of your creator? That's the person I wanna be in 2021. I wanna be, in 2021, a person who is more dependent on God's word than I ever have been in my life. And I know that when I do that, that's when I'm gonna make the wise decisions. And so my very last thing, as we kind of wrap here, is I just wanna share a vision with you guys. Can I do that? It's this vision of what TBC can look like in 2021 if we let it. Can you guys imagine what it would look like to be a part of a church that is united in reading God's word, where literally we are all on the same page every day reading God's truth together? I am confident that our conversations in church would change. I'm confident that our thoughts would be transformed. I am confident that our agendas, the way that we live our lives and the things that we start to prioritize and make time for, that those things would change as well. And this isn't just some like pulpit talk, pie in the sky, this would be really great. Like this is reality when you, when you read God's word. 
This is reality when you, when you read the playbook and you know the plays and you know how God has designed your life to go. Guys, this has happened in, in church history before. It's gonna happen again and it's what God has designed for his people. It's not just a nice thought. It's actually what he wants for us inside these four walls. And so I, I'm excited to see this happen at TBC in 2021. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, if you are not yet in a group of three or four or don't have your book and you really wanna be, please contact us. I think a lot of people are doing it, but there's room for more. And it would be so neat if we all did this together. I think it would, I know that it would change us in big, big ways and I can't wait to see it. So guys, that is what I have for us today. Um, enjoy your last four days of 2020. We're down to four days left in 2020. I'm excited for what God's gonna do in 2021. I'm excited for next week when we kick this thing off. And so let's come back next week excited and ready and just like expectant. That's a word that I, I want to use a lot in 2021. Just live expectantly, right? Just see what God is gonna do and expect him to do big things because I think he's gonna do it at TBC in 2021. So let me pray and, uh, and we'll wrap up. Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, I'm so sorry when I treat it like a common object, when it's this really extraordinary thing and I just keep it in my desk drawer, or I, I don't make time for it like I should because it is literally the words of eternal life. It is literally the key to life transformation through your son. And so Father, I just pray over our church that you would create a fire in all of us, a desire in all of us to read your word every day. Like Garen said a few weeks ago, the more we read your word, the, the more of a hunger we have for it. And so God, just like, just like one drop of blood in the water for a shark, God, just like let us get a whiff of it and just take off with it, God. Father, thank you for what you have planned for our church in 2021. We're excited to see it happen. Um, I just pray that you, you bless us and you keep us in your word and you just show us what you have for us. So thank you for this day of rest. We love you, Lord. We're excited to come back next week and, and start something really exciting with you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, um, we will see you next week, next year to do a big thing and you are sent to go be the people of Jesus in 2020 for four more days.